We were singing just a few moments ago these words, and I want to just read them to you because they, they pair perfectly with where we're going in our passage today. We were singing, what is our hope in life and our death? Christ, Christ alone. What is our only confidence? That our souls to him belong. What holds our days with his hand? What comes apart from his command? What will keep us till the end? The love of Christ in which we stand. We're going to be opening up our Bibles and looking at the Gospel of John in chapters chapter 11 and verses 1 through 44. And we're looking at the story of Lazarus today. This is a wonderful story, but this is a hard story. Because it's a story of sorrow, of sickness, and death. And it starts that way. Good news is it doesn't end that way. We see that we have a God who is more powerful than sickness and sorrow and death. But yet he does work in and through sickness, sorrow, and death. And the good news is, as we see both the humanity of Jesus and the divinity of Jesus in this passage, because we need both. And the reason why this passage is titled The Pandemic, and it's a story of hope, story of hope looking at God working through Lazarus, but through very much his son, Jesus Christ. It's a story of resurrection. And that death does not get the end, but God is the one who holds all things beginning and end in the palms of his hand. And so as we jump into this, and obviously we have a pandemic that is still going on and still impacting people's lives. I was recently struck by the, the 700,000 flags that were in D.C. of just the, the people who've been lost in the pandemic and just this country. And so as it rages on, we need to be reminded that God is with us. He loves us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. And he is at work in the good times, in the hard times, in the bad times. And sometimes he's doing things on a level we can't fully comprehend. But God is good. And God is powerful. And so we're going to begin to unpack that through this story here. So if you have your Bibles with you, let's go ahead and open. Let's look at the first 16 verses. We're going to take this chunk by chunk. And so each point, we're going to read the passage, unpack it, and keep moving forward until we get all these wonderful 44 verses into us and the beauty and truth of God's goodness. So read with me. This is the point number one, sickness and death. This is what it says. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and their brother Lazarus. So when Jesus heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, Jesus said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews are just now seeking to stone you. Are you going there again? And Jesus answered, 
Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. And then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. End of quote. So what do we have here? We have an ill man, Lazarus. Does Jesus care about him? He does. He's a friend. He loves him. He's not unaware, right, of what is going on. He loves him. What is he ill with? We don't know. Common diseases during that time in the first century could have been malaria, tuberculosis, could have been parasites, could have been an undiagnosed cancer. Who knows? But it was severe. It was very severe what he was going through. And obviously so much so that his sisters sent messengers to go be with Jesus and to tell Jesus, your beloved friend is ill and sick, which usually means probably going to die. Because it wouldn't have been easy. Might not even been cheap to send messengers, right? You and I, we can pull out our cell phones or our computers and we can call, text, right? Email, once upon a time, fax. We can do these things and communicate quickly and efficiently and easily. But the urgency here is that when you send messengers in this day and age, first century, not the 21st century, this was a big deal. So there's grief, there's heartache, there's strife going on. This is a dire situation. Know that, right? You're sending messengers. What's interesting is what Jesus says when the messengers come, because they're coming with a dire message that the end is near. And what does Jesus say? He says, the illness does not lead in death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Well, sure does look like it's going to lead towards death, right? And obviously, if we've heard this story of Lazarus, we know we, we see some physical dynamics at play here because there is going to be a physical death, right? But there's not an urgency to Jesus in his response, in his demeanor, in his tone, right? He's not rushing and saying, Whoo, glad you told me. I was unaware of this. Let's go. You do not see that happening. Jesus is not hopping on the first lift or Uber horse available and rushing to his friend. It's not happening. What is going on here? He's not making haste. Not overly concerned. But yet these messengers legitimately are. If you're in a situation and you had a beloved friend or somebody who's on their deathbed, I bet you would rush. You'd leave work. Leave where you are to be with them for those maybe last moments of that person's life, right? So we see something's going on here that's a little puzzling, right? So that's where we are right now. Jesus, he loved Mary. He loved Martha. He loved Lazarus. He's not indifferent to their suffering. He's not too busy, right? It's not as if Jesus has better Jesus things to do. So what is going on here? 
that he would stay after hearing this news. I'm going to stay here for two more days. I'm not only not going to rush, but I'm going to stay here a little longer. Why? Maybe to reveal the greater glory of God to them through some hard things. And that's what we begin to see here. Jesus says, says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And it's probably as if like with the disciples who are with Jesus, those who are there, and maybe even the messengers, like, whew, right? He's just sleeping. It's not as serious. The messengers think it is. Mary and Martha may think it is. But this is Jesus. He's not going to lead us astray. He's sleeping. There's still time. It's going to be okay, right? And then Jesus perceives that clearly these, these folks are not understanding what I mean by when he says he's sleeping. He says very plainly, Lazarus has died. There's any thought, right, any confusion, he said, no, he's gone, right? He is physically, he has passed. And he says, for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. But here's the important thing when you read the Bible, whenever time you see therefores or so that's, stop in your tracks and read those words carefully. I'm glad I was not there so that you might believe. And so you might have a deeper faith in who I am because Jesus is claiming to be divine, right? There's seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. He's claiming to be God. He's saying, I'm glad I, glad I wasn't there. So you would begin to believe and have a deeper faith in me and fully understand just who it is who's with you. In flesh and blood, yes, humanity, but also the divinity of who I am. And think about it for just a moment. What's more amazing to watch Jesus heal a man on a deathbed, that's pretty amazing, right? Or possibly to raise a man from the dead, right? If any of you try necromancy, you will fail, right? Badly. So this is something here, we're being primed up to see something very unique, something miraculous. The Lord is doing something in ways that the current context and the urgency and the trials and tribulations are going through, they can't fully understand the big picture yet, right? Because they're prisoners of their moment. God is not. He has an eternal perspective over all time and space. And so you see the wisdom of an infinite God who's speaking into a situation and reminding them, I have infinite power. And if you're like me and you love Marvel, and you know that there is this character, right, in one of the past movies called Thanos, and he has these wonderful infinity stones that shows his might and his power and his ability. And God is saying, I am infinitely stronger than anything, any creation, any thought of power or existence in itself. Thanos has nothing on me. I am the author of life and death. I am the sustainer and, right, the maintainer of all things. And I have resurrection power. And so we see this delayed love of our God early on. And sometimes still leaves us some questions, but we're going to begin to have some of those questions answered for us. Let's take a look at verses 17 through 27 together. If you have your Bibles, John chapter 11, verses 17 through 27. Let's, let's look at the delayed love of Jesus. This is what it says. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus, 
had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary remained seated in her house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. Now, there's a little fact in there when we read that. Four days is mentioned. Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. Right? He's not half dead. Like, you know, you kind of have that phrase in the Princess Bride. He's not half dead. He's all dead. All right? Four days, just so you know. Right? Little details like that are keys and indicators of things that are really important. There's also a Jewish superstition that a person's soul would linger around the body for at least three days. And so the fact that this was a fourth day that he'd been in the tomb, even in Jewish superstition, there's no chance of his soul entering back into his body, right? Even from a superstitious standpoint. So when we have four days of being dead, he's all gone. Soul, right? Definitely gone. Um, Jew or Gentile, and he's fully dead, Decay has set in. Little details like that are, are there for a reason for us to understand and grasp. And so this is what we're getting. There's great mourning happening here. And Lazarus is, is not just getting some extra Z's in or REM sleep. He's gone. And so there is great mourning happening. Verse 19 also tells us um, that there are also some other people who had come to help the mourning. And oftentimes there were professional mourners that would come and that could be hired to help the grieving process, to grieve loss. That's very human and actually probably a really good thing because when we experience loss, grief is a natural human emotion and response. And so you have some professional mourners there to console Mary and Martha and that just lets you sit in the context. There is wailing There is weeping, there is sadness that is happening. That is the context of what is going on here. And likely, when you have professional mourners, there's oftentimes musicians, sometimes singers, playing dirge music, dark, depressing music that actually continues to aid into the grieving process. These are common things that would have been happening. So this is a mental picture of the context of sadness and of sorrow following Mary and Martha around. And so when she encounters Jesus, this is the world. This is what's going on. This is the environment. Martha says to Jesus, due to his delayed travel, and she, she's not saying this sarcastically, but truthfully she's saying this. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother 
would not have died. But I know that even now, that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. God, I believe if you had been here, you could have healed him of this. You have that kind of power. I know you can do all things. But you can probably hear a little bit of legitimate frustration in her voice. I thought you loved your friend. You didn't even come. I sent messengers to you. That shows intentionality that I wanted you to be here. I wanted you to care for him. I know you can do all things. But couldn't you have come? Right? What does Jesus say to her in response in your Bibles? It says in verses 25 and 26, something pretty profound. Um, don't read over it quickly. It says, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, Jesus Christ, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you, my daughter, believe this? He's asking. He says to her, I know you're an Orthodox Jew. I know you believe in, right, the, the resurrection of the dead, that at the end of time, the Lord will, will, will rise all people, and all people will stand before their judge. Some will enter through the gate. Some will enter into eternal doom. He says, I know you believe that. But do you believe that I, the one standing before you, Jesus Christ is saying, do you believe that I am the resurrection? I am the controller of life and death. And I can turn it on like a switch, on and off. Do you believe that about me? He's making this personal. He's not, this isn't abstract. I know in a lot of times we, we talk about religion and Christianity, we can have these abstract constructs. He's in front of her and saying, do you believe in me? He's making this deeply personal, and it's very pointed. Do you believe me that I can? When I was reading through a wonderful book by C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity, he, he, he makes a pointed mark that's also very like this, and I think really helpful that illuminates what's happening here. He has a wonderful quote in his book. Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord, but he's not a moral teacher. For his own words about himself, do not allow it, which is true. And so when we see Jesus say, I am the resurrection and the life, who do you say he is? Is Jesus a liar? Is he a lunatic? Is he a crazy person saying something pretty crazy? Or is he Lord? Is he who he says he is? Having the power that he says he is. And if you believe he is, do you believe he's all good and all powerful? Um, because if true, then we have an issue here of he's good and all powerful, but right now she's struggling. Like, well, where were you then? You have all this power. What's going on? And many of us can ask these really legitimate questions sometimes, right? We can think of these things going through the pandemic that we've gone through, the strife, the struggles that we've gone through in this life. Times have not been easy. And we can ask these questions. And Jesus is saying to Martha, as he's saying to you and I, I'm in control of all things. I'm in control of life and death always. They've always been in the palm of my hands, and I am the one who's in control of them today and tomorrow and forevermore. And I give life to those who love me. But we also see some really human responses to what's going on here. And we see some hope. We see some good news. But take a look with me. Let's look at verses 28 through 44. 
This is tears of outrage. Take a look at verses 28 through 44. This is what it says. But when Martha had said she believed, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village of Bethany, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and then Jews had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. He said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Well, couldn't he? Could not he who have opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply outraged again, came to the tomb. And it was a cave. A stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believe, my daughter, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, so they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Matthew Henry, in his commentary on this passage, says something fantastic. He says, if Jesus had not specifically mentioned the name Lazarus, when he said, come out, all of the dead would have risen. He gets it. He understands the kind of power that Jesus is Jesus is, that he's proclaiming, and that he's exercising. And that's exactly right. Our God has that kind of power. He's revealing to us the magnitude of who he is and reminding us, I have resurrection, life, and power over all people, all things. The Apostle Paul tells us this in 1 Thessalonians, and I use this at a lot of memorial services and a lot of funerals when I'm called upon to preach. And this passage gives us comfort. It says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. 
After that, we who are still alive and left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words that we have hope that death does not get the last sting. But we have a God, Jesus Christ, who is in control of death and all things in life. And that he is the one who's at work bringing Lazarus and his body rising, bringing him from the grave. Jesus Christ on the third day, he rose from the grave. My friends, do you realize this is your future hope? This is, this is our future hope that we will be with the Lord forevermore. That is good news. And we need that kind of good news as we experience trials, tribulations, death, hardship, heartache, the ravages of a pandemic that's still raging, all sorts of sorrows that have wreaked our bodies, our families, our children. There is an end. There will be a day where there will be no more tears, no more sorrow, but we will be with the Lord forevermore. We are being reminded that we have a God who is in power. But he also displays his humanity. He is divine. You have seen that, the resurrection power. But also, what does Jesus do in a very human way? And when the response to his beloved who has passed, he weeps. He's human. He understands the breaking of shalom that death causes. It is temporary but he understands the brokenness. Death is an alien invader that was never supposed to be. But because of Adam and Eve's sin and our sin compound, we have death and sin in this world and in this life. Jesus' emotions are right when he is experiencing the death of a friend and the grief and the mourning and the loss and the sadness. He is outraged at death and sin and the cause and effects of that. And that is a right and appropriate response. It's a healthy response. It's a human response. But the good news is it doesn't stay there. It is right for us when we go through trials and tribulations to know that we can be fully human and we can have faith in a God who will resurrect us and our loved ones to be with him and unite us to him forevermore. But also, temporarily, it is right for us and good for us to know that as our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who has infinite and eternal knowledge, he weeps and experiences grief and sorrow. That gives us the right when we go through trials and tribulations to experience grief and sadness and sorrow. And that is okay. It's okay to not be okay. Christian triumphalism often says, it's going to be just okay, don't worry about it. And you just kind of sometimes short-circuit your emotions. And Bible passages like this remind us we don't need to short-circuit our emotions. We can be emotionally healthy, and we can have hope and faith together. Because death doesn't get the last word. And so I have to remind us from time and time again, and I have to remind my students this when they go through trials, when their parents divorce, when they go through difficulties with friends, when they experience great difficulties with lost peers, I have to remind them, Empathy and outrage are human responses. Empathy for those who are lost and loved and feeling and being with them. 
But outrage at the effects of sin and death, yes. But also to very much know that Jesus loves his friends. He does not abandon them. That is why he left heaven to be with us in human form. Jesus Emmanuel, God who is with us, to remind us that he will never leave us or forsake us. And before he ascends, what does he say to his disciples before he ascends after he's on earth? He says, I'm going to send you a helper. I'm going to send you my spirit to live within you and reside with you. And I will be with you to the end of the age. We have a God who is with us, who is for us, who never leaves us, never forsakes us. Who's at work in ways we don't always understand because his ways are our ways. His ways are higher than our ways. But we have good news that our God is in control. He is good and he never wastes our suffering, our trials, and our tribulations. But he is at work. And he will bring an end to suffering and death, into the pandemic. There will be an end where our bodies will be healed, our families will be whole, our lives will be more whole. And Jesus says, love me. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Come to me. And let's pray and ask that we would come and draw near to the Lord and that the Lord would comfort us as we go through hard days in this life. Amen? Because God is faithful. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are faithful. We don't always understand the temporary suffering, Lord, on this side of glory that we experience. We don't always understand why things happen, Lord, in a global way. Things keep going on and raging. Why things happen in our families, in our workplaces, in our personal lives, in the trials and tribulations, and the loss and the heartache. But, Lord, we know that you are not asleep. You are very much awake and aware. And Lord, sometimes your delayed love, Lord, feels like a stinging absence. But Lord, you are very much alive and well and listening. And sometimes you're delaying your work so that, Lord, we might have a deeper faith and so that we might see you work in deeper and bigger and broader and more beautiful ways than we can imagine. Lord, give us that faith in the midst. Lord, help us to be empathetic with those who experience deep loss and tragedy. But then, Lord, also remind us of the hope that we have, that death is not the end, sin is not the end, but that you love us. You gave us, Lord, yourself, your life. Lord, you have given us the power of your Holy Spirit to remind us, Lord, that you are with us till the end of this age, and you have resurrection power. Lord, we will be reunited. We will be with you again, Lord, forevermore. We long for that day. Lord, strengthen us. Give us courage. Give us hope. Lord, we love you, we praise you, Lord, and we are so grateful for you. And all God's people said, amen.